Hello and welcome. Today I'd like to offer a meditation on two very short parables of Jesus from Matthew chapter 13. In the previous recording, I suggested a practice of making your own list of benefits following the example of Psalm 103, benefits being reasons why you would pursue this path toward what Jesus called the kingdom of God, including all the sacrifices that come along with that journey. Well, this brief meditation that I'm going to give now is meant to go alongside with uh, that practice. Two parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. And then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The purpose of parables is to teach by a kind of indirection, not directly giving answers, but instead challenging us to ask better questions. The parables invite us to use our imaginations to put ourselves into the parable and recognize how we might think or feel in that situation, usually in order to help us reconsider some common assumption that, according to Jesus, we have backwards. Jesus paints a picture that describes something about the reality of God. That's the parable. And then we get to wrestle with it as it bumps up against our own views and assumptions, which are often not based in reality. The message of these two parables, the hidden treasure and the priceless pearl, uh, the message is simple enough. When you see something of such great value, the cost to get it becomes a non-issue. The one person who finds buried treasure doesn't have to deliberate on whether it would be worth it to sell whatever he needed to sell in order to purchase the field containing that great treasure. It even says that It was in his joy that he went and sold all that he had. And likewise, the one who found the pearl didn't hesitate or deliberate. In both cases, there was no comparison between the value of everything that they currently had and the value of what it was that they had found. If you take just a moment, can you relate yourself to the people in the story? Have you been so overtaken by something that you would do basically anything for it? Maybe there was a person that you became totally enamored with, and you were willing to give up whatever used to seem so important in order to spend time around that person. Maybe uh, you had a job or career opportunity that so excited you that you were willing to go back to school or just relocate, pick up and move just for that opportunity. I'm thinking also as a child, there was probably some toy or something like a bike or something that you so desperately wanted, um, but maybe you had to do some work to earn that money. And that the work itself, however onerous, was actually deep down a kind of a joy because you knew what it was accomplishing for you as you were making the money. Can you just take a moment and not rush on, but remember that experience?
I really appreciate this quote by G.K. Chesterton. He said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, that is, lacking. It has been found difficult and left untried. And I would say it's true, in a sense. It's true that the Christian path, the Christian ideal, is difficult. But why should that difficulty be such a deterrent? Um, Lots of things are difficult. We do difficult things every day. We raise children. We solve hard problems in our work. We learn new skills because we have to. Uh, We scrap and save money for down payments on a house. Um, And we even do incredibly difficult things just for fun, Uh, like climbing a mountain just to get to the top, or running a marathon just because we can, or composing a piece of music because there's something so valuable in completing that. And we do these things, these difficult things, because we are convinced of a goal that we deem desirable, worth it. And for that goal, we're willing to do the very difficult things. Sometimes those difficult things are even a joy to us, although at other times we just do them because we know that, uh, that they are accomplishing what we are desiring. It's this basic, very basic clarity and conviction that is what is behind our hesitancy. Um, not a lack of conviction about let's say, the goodness of God, but a lack of clarity of what it would look like for us to live and be a part of that very goodness. I used this quote by C.S. Lewis in a series um, on survival a few months back, but I'm going to use it here again because it is so diagnostic of what I'm trying to describe. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, just like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So here C.S. Lewis is defining or identifying the very thing I think that stops so many in their tracks. It's our lack of being able to imagine. Imagination is literally the ability to use our minds to image something that we cannot currently see. We use our imagination as fuel for the journey. Whenever we imagine ourselves doing something really hard, like finishing a marathon, or speaking a new language, or buying a house, or having children, And it is the imagination that Jesus is trying to wake up by speaking in parables. Often when people critique Christianity for not really looking much like Jesus, they often will point to maybe common vices or issues that Christians have, or point out hypocritical behaviors, or lack of love toward those outside the church, or lack of love toward other branches of the church. Um, But I want to suggest that a much more accurate and also compassionate critique would simply say that Christianity, at least as I know it in the West, doesn't really have a clear vision of what it's all for. 
um, we have a lack of our being able to imagine, to image in our minds, what it was that Jesus saw so clearly. We've made Christianity into things which are much more manageable. Uh, Things like saying the magic words so we can get into heaven when we die, right? If we just say these things, then we'll get into heaven, and that's very nice and tidy. Or we've made Christianity into building impressive churches. Or we've made Christianity into trying to solve all the world's problems with justice and equity issues. And all of those, rightly understood, are a part of the picture, right? We are on a journey to the reality of heaven that will be consummated after this life. We are working on building healthy communities, rightly understood. And we are partnering with God in working the justice of God in the world. But Jesus was very specific and purposeful in his proclamation. He offered the kingdom of God. His offer was always only that we could know life with God in the kingdom, uh, which he called sometimes the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heavens. Uh, And he said, it's available to anybody who wants in right now. He only gave two requirements. One was that we would, in order to sort of make it in or be a part of this kingdom, that we would repent, which is um, not a one-time deal. It is a commitment to an ongoing attitude of humility and a willingness to rethink our assumptions. And he said that we must believe. And I don't mean an intellectual, like, believe this is true. Believe as in when a person says, do you believe in me? Or in other words, do you have confidence in me? So Jesus says, we must, in order to be a part of this kingdom, we must maintain this posture of repentance. And we must also maintain a posture of belief, placing all of our confidence in Jesus and all of what he said and what he did. So it seems to me that the wisest place for any person to start would be to do our best to understand what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of heaven. What is it that is here and now and available and apparently worth more than anything that any of us currently have or could achieve on our own? What kind of life could possibly be worth uh, relinquishing all of our projects for our own self-fulfillment? This is what Jesus called losing your life for my sake. For a path that it seems like so many people are willing to pass by. It is that vision, the kingdom of heaven, that is what we will be exploring for this next season of time. That is our hidden treasure, our pearl of great price. Can you imagine your life with Jesus in this kingdom? Not after you die, but as something that you could live in and experience right now. As something worth every cost, every challenge, hardship, struggle, something so desirable and good that even those difficulties would become joys because of what they are accomplishing for you. Can you picture in your mind who you would be in that, in that kingdom? What kind of things you would think about? What kind of feelings you would feel? How you would behave and interact with others and generally just live your life in that kingdom? Who would you be if you were living that kind of life? 
can you imagine yourself? Do you even want to be that person? These are important questions because of the images that they bring to our mind, which will determine, again, our imagination determines, whether we will join the ranks of people who, when the inevitable difficulties or, um, or lack of what we were hoping for happens, Will we abandon this journey, this process, and say, well, I tried the Christian thing and found it wanting? Or whether we we will discover the joy that is possible even in the midst of those difficulties because we know that this process we're in is refining something within us that is worth more than even pure gold, as one New Testament author puts it. I would like to leave you with a question to think about and hopefully to discuss with someone. What on earth, or maybe I should throw out the on earth part, what would be worth everything that you have and more? What could God, through Jesus, possibly be offering that would be worth a complete reordering and reevaluation of your life, even to the point of losing your life as you now know it? What could possibly be that good? I think this is the point of these two parables, and I think it's a question worth wrestling with.